You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is the Artist Profile Series, Episode 31. In thy presence we become aware of many divisions within the inner circle of the self. When we enter into communion with thee, we are never sure of the voice that speaks within us. We do not always know which voice is the true voice. Sometimes it is the clear call of the heart, remembering an unfulfilled hunger from other days. Sometimes it is but an echo of some failing impulse to good, which we had pushed aside that a private end may triumph even in the face of the distinct call of truth. Often it is the muttering of needs that do not shape themselves in words because they are one with all the ebb and flow of every passing day. At times the voice is like a clarion rising above all conflicts and confusions, so uttering the need for courage to stand against some evil to witness for the good where the cost is high and the penalty great. Sometimes the voice is muted. Sometimes telling us of hopes unrealized and dreams that will not rest until they incarnate themselves in us. All the while we pull back, but they will not let us go. In the midst of all the sounds rising above all the mingled words, there is a strange voice, but but not quite a stranger. A man recognizes it. It seems to come from every part of him, but cannot rest itself on any point of sound. He waits, he listens. When all is still, he listens now at a deeper level of silence. In soundless movement there floats up through all the chambers of his being, encompassing all the tongued cries from many cells, one word, God. And the answer is the same, filling all the living silence before thy face, God, God. Howard Washington Thurman was a poet, mystic, philosopher, and spiritual activist. He authored more than 20 books in his lifetime and played a leading role in the civil rights movement where he served as spiritual mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Howard was born in 1899 and was raised by his maternal grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, in a racist-ridden, segregated Daytona, Florida. Nancy was a woman deeply committed to the Christian faith and instilled in Howard an abiding interest in the Bible, as well as the importance of learning about the trials and religious faith of slaves. Nancy herself had been formerly enslaved on a plantation in Madison County, Florida, and taught young Howard that education was a means of overcoming racial discrimination. Howard put his grandmother's words into practice, accumulating an exhaustive list of degrees and developing a lifelong love of religious study and social justice. Howard would one day become one of the primary developers of nonviolence as a means of social reform, 
and would be named by Life magazine as one of the 12 most important religious leaders in America. He's been called the patron saint of the civil rights movement, and his writings and sermons provided the inspiration and guiding principles for leaders such as Jesse Jackson, John Lewis, and Otis Moss Jr. In 1923, Howard graduated as valedictorian from Morehouse College, where it is said he had read every book in their entire library. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Rochester Theological Seminary and a Bachelor of Divinity in 1926. From then until 1928, Howard served as pastor of the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Oberlin, Ohio. Then in 1929, Howard turned his spiritual and intellectual pursuits to the study of mysticism under the mentorship of influential Quaker theologian Rufus Jones. Here, Thurman developed his views on social action as an overflow of the interior life in personal relationship with God. He said, The mystic's concern with the imperative of social action is not merely to improve the condition of society. It is not merely to feed the hungry, not merely to relieve human suffering and human misery. If this were all, in and of itself, it would be important, surely, but this is not all. The basic consideration has to do with the removal of all that prevents God from coming to Himself in the life of the individual. Whatever there is that blocks this calls for action. Howard returned to Morehouse College, this time not as a student, but as professor of religion, and then afterwards became the first black dean of Rankin Chapel. He married his first wife, Katie Kelly, who died from tuberculosis in 1930. Then several years later, in 1934, Howard and his second wife, Sue Bailey Thurman, were asked to lead a delegation for African Americans to India and Southeast Asia. On this trip, Howard met with Mahatmas Gandhi, to discuss the African-American role in the practice of nonviolence. After meeting with Gandhi, Howard was impressed upon that nonviolence was not just a political tactic to be used to end inequality and segregation, but it was a way of life to be adopted. Thurman began to call for spiritual discipline as a remedy for resentment toward white oppressors and as a means to not be defeated by our own rage and hatred, he said in his autobiography. In 1943, inspired by his meeting with Gandhi, Howard founded the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples in San Francisco, California. This fellowship was the first major congregation in America to encourage participation from all peoples, regardless of ethnic, economic, or religious backgrounds. The congregation was multicultural in every sense, comprised of Asian Americans, white Americans, African Americans, and Native Americans. Church services there included times of silence and prayer, as well as music from jazz bands and experiential interpretive dance. In 1949, Howard published what perhaps is his most influential work, titled Jesus and the Disinherited. This book held a major impact upon leaders of the civil rights movement. In fact, it is reported that Martin Luther King Jr. carried a copy of this book with him when he marched in Selma. In the book, Howard depicts Jesus as a member of the poor ethnic minority of the Roman Empire. 
He called for the privileged and the underprivileged of society to meet together without hierarchy so that they might experience the common worship of God. In 1953, Howard Thurman became the first African-American dean of Boston University's predominantly white Marsh Chapel. Here, Thurman engaged with prominent figures such as James Baldwin, Arthur Ashe, and left his deep and lasting impression upon the young Martin Luther King Jr. In his book, The Search for Common Ground, Howard writes an endearing passage about Martin Luther King Jr., which holds a depth of wisdom we can still learn from today. He said, As a result of a series of fortuitous circumstances, there appeared on the horizon of the common life a young man who for a swift, staggering, and startling moment met the demands of the hero. He was young, he was well-educated, with the full credentials of academic excellence in according with ideals found in white society. He was a son of the South. He was steeped in and nurtured by familiar religious tradition. He had charisma, that intangible quality of personality that gathers up in its magic the power to lift people out of themselves without diminishing them. In him, the outsider and the insider came together in a triumphant synthesis. Here at last was a man who affirmed the oneness of black and white under a transcendent unity for whom community meant the profoundest sharing in the common life. For him, the wall was a temporary separation between brothers, and his name was Martin Luther King Jr. His star shot across the heavens like Halley's Comet, making a mighty radiance in the light of which ancient dwellers in darkness could find their way to brotherhood. A fresh, cool wind blew across the desert places, and the tired, the weary, the fear-ridden, the hated, and the haters could find a bold new courage. At last, there was available a personal and collective catharsis. Here was a new hero who gave the assurance of succeeding at the very point that had proved so vulnerable to all the heroes of the past. As a special kind of grace, he had achieved this by the time the assassin's bullets struck him down. Never again would the boundaries be as established as they were before his coming. In his own short and intense life, the announcement was made to all and sundry far and near that the life of the black man was not at the mercy of white people, that for better or for worse they were tied together. No black man could be what his potential demanded unless the white man could be what his potential demanded. No white man could be what his potential demanded unless the black man could be what his potential demanded. For him, this was literal truth and therefore literal fact. The elements of a new residue began building up in the psyche of the black man, and this was good. Howard Thurman was committed to pursuing a pluralistic society that acknowledged its differences while celebrating its commonalities. He held a deep-rooted vision for cultivating a world where neither racial nor religious barriers would inhibit true community. It's been said of Howard that he was 100 years ahead of his time. And as I've studied the words and works of this brilliant mystic and social reformer, I agree wholeheartedly. 
Many of his sermons and books feel as if they were written for us here today, preserved in time and offering remedy and a hopeful view of the future to guide us through our own cultural moment. I'll leave you with one further passage from the Search for Common Good, which bears such a prophetic witness, I found myself covered in chills and returning to the text repeatedly after I first read the words. I'm sure they'll strike you in much the same way as they did myself. Howard concludes his book like this. Here and there will be those who will walk out under the stars and think lonely thoughts about whence they came and the meaning that their presence in the heavens inspires. They will wonder and ponder heavy thoughts about man and his destiny under the stars. One day, there will stand up in their midst one who will tell of a new sickness among the children who in their delirium cry for their brothers whom they have never known and from whom they have been cut off behind the self-imposed barriers of their fathers. An alarm will spread throughout the community that it is being felt and slowly realized that community cannot feed for long on itself. It can only flourish where always the boundaries are giving way to the coming of others from beyond them, unknown and undiscovered brothers. Then the wisest among them will say, what we have sought, we have found, our own sense of identity. We have an established center out of which at last we can function and relate to other men. We have committed to heart and to nervous system a feeling of belonging, and our spirits are no longer isolated and afraid. We have lost our fear of our brothers and are no longer ashamed of ourselves, of who and what we are. Let us now go forth to save the land of our birth from the plague that first drove us into the will to quarantine and to separate ourselves behind self-imposed walls. For this is why we were born. Men, all men belong to each other, and he who shuts himself away diminishes himself, and he who shuts another away from himself destroys himself. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave us a kind review on iTunes. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you for taking the time to be with us. We hope you'll explore our library of over 130 episodes and interviews on art, faith, and culture at makersandmystics.com. Music for this episode is provided by Lay and Sean Williams. You can find links to these artists and to learn more about Howard Thurman in the show notes of this episode. We'll see you again next week for another full artist interview.